Originally, I had thought that I would return to our study of the book of Luke this morning, but for some time now, it's been upon my heart to to bring us a message concerning us as a corporate family of believers that deals with the subject of being sacrificial people, sacrificial people. Several years ago, I, I heard a message that contained, or several messages actually, that uh, dealt with this idea called the foundations for a godly church. And throughout that series, the, the preacher gave 13 different pillars that he called the foundations for a church. They were 13 different foundational elements that were drawn from what the Bible teaches concerning what makes a corporate body, a church, that's us, the corporate body of believers, a strong and growing body. These 13 pillars or 13 elements were non-negotiables for every Christian church if it was going to be a godly church. In other words, these are things that are musts. They're non-negotiables. They have to be happening. Or the church is not a church that really is honoring God in its fullest capacity. In other words, if these non-negotiable elements are not being done in some way by the church, and if these elements are not maturing over time as the church is together and growing, then the church would, in fact, be ineffective in its call, what God has called it to be, and that is to reflect the glories of God to the world around us, dark and spiritually dead world in which we live. This morning, I don't want to go through all of those for us. Maybe sometime in the future we can do that. Maybe I'll take some time and put all that together, at least in my own words, under that kind of heading. But this morning, I don't want to do that, but I I believe that uh, I, I just want to hone in on one of them, and I want us to excel still more. Uh, in it. And the matter that has been on my heart for some time is the matter uh, of all of us who are part of the body of believers, right? It's a matter for all of us to deal with, and that is being sacrificial people. Sacrificial people. Now, what do I mean when I say sacrificial people? Well, I mean that we must be a people who are willing in our hearts to give willing in our hearts to give. As soon as I say that, our minds immediately gravitate towards the subject of money. Money. And that, of course, is on our minds. That's how our human minds tend to work. When we think about giving, when we think about sacrifice in giving, we gravitate towards money. We think of giving money, especially if it comes from a pastor preaching in a church but I don't want that to be on your minds this morning per se. I want to assure us that while that is part of what is meant by being a sacrificial person or a willingness to give, according to what the Bible says, that is not all that is meant by that. To give in a biblical way encompasses the whole idea of that word sacrifice. The whole idea that we've talked about, really, even in our study of the Gospel of Luke when it came to love. Because the word sacrifice means to give. 
It means to to relinquish, if you will. If you were to look up the word sacrifice in just a regular dictionary that isn't filled with all kinds of foolish, woke ideas of what words mean today, you would find that it means this. Sacrifice means the giving up of a valued thing for the sake of another. The giving up of a valued thing for the sake of another that is more important and worthy of it. So sacrifice then has everything to do with the value of something. It has to do with value. If we value one thing more than we value another thing, then we will willingly give up the one thing of lesser value for that which is of more value. For the Christian, or us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, us who have a relationship with God through Christ, carrying out that principle has everything to do with one of the other pillars in those non-negotiable pillars, and that is the pillar of spiritual faith. Spiritual faith. You don't have a church of just gathering of people. You have a church of people who are of spiritual faith. In other words, being sacrificial people is immediately connected with being people of faith. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean this. We will never be willing to sacrifice, as the Bible calls us, to sacrifice. We'll never give up. None of us will be willing to relinquish that which is valuable to us for that which is more valuable if we individually are not people of spiritual faith. You say, well, that's an interesting way to say it, spiritual faith. Well, I say it that way because everyone in our world has a faith. Everyone has a faith. Every person lives by a faith. That is simply to say that we all trust in others and in other things that we do not have answers for or answers from. In fact, some are finding out, even in our day and age, that that's not so wise to do. You came here this morning, you probably woke up this morning, and you took a glass out of the cupboard and turned on your faucet and got water from the well or from the city water department, trusting that that water was uncontaminated, that it did not have things in it that were going to make you sick. And if those who had public water had the job well done for them, that it was not polluted, then you will not get sick. Your drinking water is safe. To those who have wells, as long as something hasn't seeped into the well and polluted the water, your water is safe. You can drink it. We take medications. We take vitamins every day, trusting that they have been made for safe consumption. We have a faith in things we have no knowledge about. It's getting tougher in today's world to do that. You and I drove to church today. We came here down the road right outside of us, trusting that the others would stay on their side of the road and that they would not come to our side of the road. We had faith that the person driving the missile in the other direction would not hit our missile that we were driving. So we live constantly by a faith, but the Christian is to live constantly by spiritual faith. Right, A spiritual faith is a faith given to us by God 
whereby in salvation we are saved, and therefore then from salvation we live out that salvation in practical ways in our life. We live, we walk by faith. That's what the Bible says. Hebrews 11.1 says what spiritual faith is. I'll just read it for us so we have it in our minds. Here it is. Faith is, he's talking about spiritual faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Spiritual faith is the the assurance of things that we hope for, that we hope for the things that God has told us, the promises He gives us. It's the conviction, the living by that which we do not see. So there's both. There's that trust in and that walking because of faith. So spiritual faith is this absolute conviction that what is not seen is in fact what will happen. Why? Because the one that is God, God who promised it, is absolutely faithful to carry it out because he is faithful and cannot be unfaithful. So we can say that faith in the spiritual realm is like a sailboat on the water. It's the very wind that fills the sail that carries the boat along. We trust in God. We walk by faith in that God. So the truth of God carries us along with confidence in life so that no matter what takes place in this life, no matter what is happening around us, whether it's physically, emotionally, or otherwise, we have something of much greater value in the heavens. And all of that takes place in the here and now as God's sovereign plan is unfolded for His glory and our good. We walk by faith. So our spiritual faith or our lack of spiritual faith, will be reflected in and through our sacrificial giving. Do we trust God as we give? So how we give and what we are willing to relinquish is a picture of our spiritual faith. You may have heard in the past someone say on the whole money and economic side of things, if you want to know where someone's faith is, look at their checkbook. Well, there's some truth to that, but if you want to know where their spiritual life is and where their service is in the church and where their serving of others is and their sacrifice to others, just look at their life. If they're unwilling to give, then their faith isn't very strong. So this morning, I want to answer some of the questions that may be on our minds in this area and just help us live according to the will of God, according to His Word, as it pertains to this whole doctrine of sacrificial giving, whether it's in the area of money, economics, or whether it's in the area of giving of ourselves, offering ourselves through our giftedness, through our talents, through our abilities, whatever it is, being a sacrifice to God. Now this may be a surprise to some of us, but the money that we have is not our own. No, we have retirement accounts, we have bank accounts, we have jobs, we get paychecks, it has my name on it, the bank won't cash it unless my name is on it, but yet it is not my own as a Christian. It has been given to us by God, and how we handle what is God's, we have to think of it like that, how we handle what is God's, and how we use what is God's 
shows a reflection in our heart of how we trust Him, how we entrust ourselves to Him. In other words, how we use all of those things is a reflection of our spiritual faith in Him. So we have to understand that each of us is given what God gives us, and we will be held account to the owner for our stewardship of what He has given us. And in this world, Satan would love for us to use both our own human giftedness and what God has given us by way of economics for His purposes rather than God's. Satan wants to destroy. That's who his job is. He wants to destroy the people of God. He wants to destroy the church of God by having God's people use what is God's for things that are his, not God's. And so Satan loves to spin the world in ways that entice and challenge the flesh to be used in ways that are godless and to have us be exhausted in things that are not for the advancement of the kingdom of God that build up the body. So since that's the case, the question comes up then, at least in my mind, how do I use what God has graciously given to me for his purposes? How do I use how God has equipped me and what God has given me economically? How do I use it for ourselves? How do we use it in that aspect for God's glory? How do we use it in the church for his glory? Simply saying, what does the Bible say about giving? How do those principles flush themselves out in the practical living of our Christian lives? Each and every one of us can come up with a whole lot of reasons, I think. We could sit here today and raise our hands and spread the mic around and ask for reasons as to why we come to worship on Sunday. Here we are this day, first day of the year. We've come here. We could ask the question, why did you come here this day? We would get all kinds of answers. But I'm not sure that we would get this answer. I've come here today because I love to give. I love to give. It's another opportunity for me to give, no matter the reasons that we come to church. Beloved, we have to realize that giving is ultimately an expression of worship. An expression of worship. God tells us in His Word that there are blessings that come when we give. Not simply monetarily, again, not simply from economics, but also in giving of ourselves in service to Him. In our study of Luke chapter 6, we saw in verse 38, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, or with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, for whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, you may not know this, but in the Scriptures, there are some 2,350 verses in the Bible that speak about money or giving. 2,350. And of those, just those two verses that I read ought to be enough to convince us that there's a great benefit for us and there's a great benefit for the body of Jesus Christ when we relinquish back to God what is rightfully His. Those two promises make giving both a reflection of our faith and a command 
for our obedience. So it's a reflection of us trusting God, and it's a command for us to obey. And the reality behind both of those is that when there is generosity in giving, there is great reward from God. What kind of reward? Well, the church grows and people grow. The church grows as God uses his people to mature the church and one another, and we grow individually as people. So that's just the backdrop that I want to kind of lay out there for giving. But I want to share with us four unique realities, four unique realities about biblical giving from the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, Turn them to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Four unique realities that are going to help us evaluate our own stewardship, our own stewardship of what God has given us, both in our lives by way of giftedness and in our lives by way of economics, and how our church is affected by it. So first Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I want to read for us just the first five verses. Apostle Paul says to the believers in Corinth, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now you notice right out of the gate that Paul is encouraging the Corinthian believers by way of churches in Macedonia that are operating according to this principle. The church in Jerusalem is being ostracized. It is under severe persecution at every point. The saints there are in great need, and they were economically a poor church. When you came to know Jesus Christ in the Jewish world, you were ostracized and cast out of the synagogue. You had no means of acquiring really anything. You probably lost your job. You were thrown out of your family. You certainly were thrown out of the synagogue. Your economics changed immediately, and so you needed others around you in order to care for you. So the church in Jerusalem was a poor church, and Paul knew this firsthand. And he had made a couple of trips back to Jerusalem. You know, you can read that about that in Acts. And even in Acts chapter 15, when he was before the Jerusalem council, he was exhorted to even help the poor, right? They're talking about the Gentiles, whether the Gentiles had received the Spirit. Paul's giving the message to them. He's saying, yeah, so I'm preaching the same gospel to them as you're preaching to the Jews. And they say, listen, don't require anything from them other than to abstain from blood that was from sacrifices and give to the poor. And Paul said, that's exactly what I'm doing. And so he had mentioned this collection before in 1 Corinthians. 
is mentions it there to these believers, and for some reason, the Corinthian church, with all the trouble that was going on within the church as to the people wanting to be in the first place and wanting to be prominent in who they were, and I remember all the stuff we studied through 1 Corinthians and the trouble they were having. For some reason, with all that going on, they hadn't fulfilled their promise to Paul to care for this church in Jerusalem. And so Paul, being concerned about their faithful obedience to God, Paul wants them to, to honor the Lord with their lives because they claim to know Christ. He he actually is just softly encouraging them to do that. He's saying, listen, this is what's going on. And he's using an example of some other saints who had given to the Jerusalem church. And so the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, wants these Corinthians, and he wants us, right? Here it is, for us, 2023. We're reading it to ourselves, beginning the year. He wants us to learn from these people. He wants us to learn from this ancient church, these ancient believers, these ones who we will see one day in the glories of heaven with this unique reality that they have about giving. And I believe that Paul not only wants them to give of their means, the Corinthian believers, but he wants them to give of themselves. He wants the Corinthian believers to come out of their way economically, and sacrifice, and he wants them to give of themselves sacrificially. So let's just begin to walk through these four realities. Reality number one is this. All of our giving flows out of grace. All of our giving flows out of grace. Notice what he says. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. We want to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. The first unique reality about giving is that it always is generated by the grace of God, as you and I as Christians understand the grace we have been given by God. It was grace that was the foundation of all the Macedonians' generosity. It was the unmerited favor, this this granting upon them the mercy and grace of God that they understood that God had shown them for their own life, that God had saved them from the sin of their own wretchedness, this grace upon them, and it was this grace that they understood that outweighed anything they possessed. They were rich in an understanding of the grace of God. I find it amazing here that as Paul is writing about this, so so opposite of what you hear some charlatans today say about giving. Paul does not say that they gave because of some philanthropic desire. He doesn't say that it was because their parents had taught them to be generous to people. It's an important principle. And yet Paul doesn't mention that. He doesn't say, hey, listen, they grew up in homes that were giving homes, and so they just naturally had that gift, and they gave. No, it wasn't even because of Paul's own influence upon them. It was wholly and solely because of their understanding of the grace of God. I want you to know, brethren, Paul says, that when you understand grace, you'll give because of that grace. 
There are all kinds of people in our world today doing some humanly good things by giving out things. But none of it comes close to touching the goodness and the righteousness that is brought about when giving is generated by the grace of God. The world likes to help people so that it can pat itself on the back and say before God, because they know they're going to face God, hey, look what I've done. Isn't that good enough to stand in your presence? And God says that's not giving. Giving that flows out of an understanding of the grace I've showed you, that's, that's giving. That's giving. So it was the grace of God that generated the giving of the Macedonians. And it is the grace of God that should motivate our giving. Here's how one author put it, quote, giving is simply another effect of transforming grace. Whenever someone is exhibiting the kind of giving the Macedonian church had, you know God's grace is at work in that person's heart, unquote. So reality number one, all of our giving that is true God-honoring giving is born out of an understanding of the grace of God. Reality number two, biblical giving has little to do with our economic situation. Biblical giving has little to do with our economic situation. Notice verse two, this entire relative clause that's here in verse two. He says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of of their liberality. That's a, that's a mouthful. Economics did not affect giving in the slightest for the Macedonians. And you say, how do you know that? Well, here's how we know that. They were economically destitute people. They had a deep poverty. These were people who were not only economically poor, but they were socially beaten down. They were under a great trial and a great tribulation. That's why he means in verse 2 that in a great ordeal of affliction, they were under it in the world in which they lived. They were the poor of the poor. They were the societal poor who were underneath those who might claim to be poor. And if anybody had an excuse in their own situational circumstances to not give, it could have been and it should have been them in the world in which they lived. In fact, under the persecution of their day, what they were going through when it says of their affliction, they didn't know if they would have enough economic resources for not only the day they were living, let alone for tomorrow. And so they entrusted themselves to God. And they gave. I find that rather humbling, don't you? In our world in which we live, where we have such an abundance of things, and yet we fight for every scrap. We fight for every crumb. We struggle to keep and to hold on to everything that we can. And yet Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, said, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. I don't know 
Sometimes I find my heart seemingly anxious for everything, don't you? Don't you find sometimes that that's just your heart? You're sitting there in in the quietness of yourself before God. You realize your heart seems to be anxious for everything. Yet God says, be anxious for nothing. We can make all kinds of excuses as humans, and yet here are the Macedonian believers who offer no excuse. They don't say, well, we're under a lot of affliction, and we really don't have anything, so we can't give. They offered no excuses to give. They just gave. They just gave. Even though they were suffering more than any of us could ever imagine, any of us could ever contemplate, they gave. And so here is an example to us of how all true lovers of God are to respond in the church when ministry or economic needs arise. There's ministry needs, there's economic needs. Church comes together, we meet the need. We give. Again, one writer said it this way, quote, it would seem that those themselves who have known poverty and hardship are more ready to share their meager substance with the more needy than those who have lived in luxury all their lives. Unquote. I found that to be true when I traveled to Honduras, third world country. Those people just poured it out on us. They had nothing. And all they wanted to do was open their homes to us and give us everything they had. It wasn't out of their economic situation that they gave. They didn't have one. The text says here it was out of their superabundance of joy that they gave. You see that? Greater deal of affliction, their abundance of joy. That word their abundance really is superabundance. How could they have a superabundance of joy to give when they had nothing? Well, they could do that because they understood the grace of God in their life. They understood what they had. They, they were rich because they knew God. And so their giving was, was accompanied with this superabundance of joy. They didn't have anything economically, and yet they were joyful and gave because the grace of God in their lives, their giving was joyful giving. You say, what does that mean? It means they were overwhelmingly happy to do it. They just wanted the opportunity to participate. Wow, what an example. What an example to us. What an example to us. Sometimes we give out of duty. Sometimes we step up and volunteer because we feel pressured. Sometimes we give because we we just don't want anybody to think we don't want to give. We feel guilty. Beloved, true biblical giving looks way beyond those things, way past the surface of all of those factors and gives out of a superabundance of joy for the simple privilege to give. Because biblical giving has little to do with economics. That's why biblical giving is generous. Notice at the end of verse 2, he says, and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I think that's, that's amazing language for the Holy Spirit to use for people who were economically destitute. Humanly speaking, they had nothing to give. 
They were the poorest of the poor. Their poverty was at the bottom of the bottom. And yet they gave out of the richness of their generosity. That's what it means, their sincerity of wealth. (laughs) They may have been poor economically, but they were rich in generosity. They didn't have anything, but they certainly were willing to give whatever it was they did have. So they were single-minded in their giving. They had no care for what they would have to go without. didn't matter. Only what they might give. That's what was on their mind. So they didn't just give some of what they had or what they didn't have. They didn't give something because they weren't sure what they might not have later, and so they wanted to hold a little back. No, they gave out of their generosity, regardless of what might be left for them. That's the attitude we are to have when we give. We're to be single-minded about giving. We're to be single-minded on the needs of others. The things of our own lives fade into the background when we have our eyes focused on others. So biblical giving flows out of grace, and biblical giving is in spite of our economic situation. Reality number three. Reality number three is this. Biblical giving is both sacrificial and voluntary. Sacrificial and voluntary. Verse 3, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Macedonians gave out from their ability to give and beyond their ability to give. So the place to start with giving is at the ability to give. The ability to give. Right, we we each have the ability to give. We each have the ability to be generous. God doesn't want us to give what we do not have. In fact, you can't give what you do not have. You can only give what you do have. It's impossible to give something you do not have. But He wants us to give proportionally to what we have. That's why it says here, according to our ability or according to their ability. Paul says. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, each one of us comes with a different ability. Each one of us comes with different abilities financially, different abilities by way of our giftedness. Each one of us comes with different talents to the church, gifting in the church, but all of us are to be giving according to our ability to give and with sacrifice. It ought to cost us. That's what it's saying when he says beyond their ability. They gave beyond their ability. They gave sacrificially. I think it's an Old Testament principle, right? It's a principle that was brought in from the Old Testament because it's the same God of the Old Testament that we have in the New Testament. David said this, 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing, David said. Jesus continually says to the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. The clothes you're going to wear because your heavenly Father knows your needs. Biblical giving is sacrificial. But secondly, it's voluntary. It's voluntary. They gave of their own accord. They gave of their own accord. 
That is to say, no one manipulated these people. No one tried to coerce them like many try to do today. They're not coerced into giving. No one forced them to give. No one even told them that they should give a certain amount or with certain effort. No one said that. They just gave. They gave sacrificially out of their own volition, of their own accord. They loved God. They understood the grace of God in their life. They loved God's people. They loved the body of Christ. They loved His church. And so they graciously, sacrificially, and voluntarily gave. Biblical giving is always from grace, regardless of our circumstance and economics. Sacrificial, not coerced. And then lastly, biblical giving is worshipful. Biblical giving is worshipful. Notice the Macedonian believers gave out of worship. Verses 4 and 5, they were begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And that's not what we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the word or by the will of God. That's worship, beloved. That is worship. These people wanted with all of their hearts to honor God, to see God exalted both in his church and in his people. And so they wanted to be a part of the ministry of what God was doing with the saints in Jerusalem, so much so that they begged to be part of this offering. Don't leave us out. Don't look at our situation and our circumstances of this great affliction that we're under and the reality that we don't have a whole lot of, by way of material goods and economics, don't leave us out. We want to be part of the ministry. We might have meager, but we, are, we have much to give and we're going to give of ourselves. Maybe I don't have a dime in the bank. So what? I just want to give of myself. I just want to be a part. I don't want to be left out of the ministry of what God is doing. That's what's meant by that word support in verse 4. They begged us. They entreated us. With much entreaty, they were begging us for for the grace of participation in support of the saints. We, we just want to labor for those saints. They're brothers and sisters in Christ up there. We, we know they're struggling. We want them to, 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 to excel. We want to labor. What can we do for them? The Macedonians knew what it meant to live according to the principles that Paul taught in all of the churches. You say, what did Paul teach? Paul taught what we learned on Christmas morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's just a phrase that means the grace of God. I urge you because of grace to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. They understood that reality. Whether it was from themselves or whether it was material goods that they had, they were willing to offer all of it to God for God's use. Whatever it was, their life and their stuff, they just held open with open hands before God. God, use it. Use it however you want it to be used. You know what that says? That says that when they gave, they were worshiping God. They were worshiping God. When we praise God's name, when we honor God, we worship God. God is most pleased when we worship him by offering ourselves. God is most pleased when his children just say, okay, Lord, however you want to use me, I'm here for you. Use me. You and I will never give what we have willingly if we are not willing to relinquish ourselves first. If we're unwilling to relinquish ourselves, we'll never give what God has given to us by way of economics or circumstances. We have to always be ready to be used by God however God wants to use us even if that means he needs to use the resources that he made us stewards over for his work over here. We're just stewards of it. Paul's blown away by this. Paul says, man, this this was even shocking to me to see this. I think Paul is saying that in that sense in verse 5 because he, he's almost saying to the Corinthian believers, I thought this would be you. I, I mean, you're, you're far beyond in economic sense than they are. You're not under the affliction that they are. And so it's, it's shocking that it's not you, but here it is. We hadn't expected that from them. I mean, in one sense, Paul himself is even learning from the example of the Macedonian believers. Paul says they they give themselves to the Lord. That's where it starts. When we give ourselves to the Lord, guess what we do? We give ourselves to others by the will of God. As God wills, we just offer ourselves to the Lord. Say, Lord, it's all yours. So the Macedonian believers are great examples to us, beloved, of how we ought to give. They knew that it was all God's grace. They knew that. Had little to do with their economic status. They didn't have anything. They knew that their giving needed to be sacrificial. It needed to be voluntary. That God calls us to that. This is all the Lord's anyway. And in that, they worshiped God. They held Him at the highest esteem. I believe, I really believe that if we're not a people that give according to that model, a people that that just exudes sacrifice, then, then what we're doing is we're actually working to weaken the spiritual foundation of the church. And not only will the church be in need of repair, but we need 
some heart repair. But here in our church, I've seen and believe that this church desires to honor the Lord. I know that. I've, the years that I've been here, I've seen in great ways this church just pour on that kind of love, that kind of expression of grace. We desire to worship God as He has designed us, don't we? We desire that. When we worship God, we'll give as God has asked us to give, and we do give. What's my encouragement to us on this first Lord's Day of the year? What's my encouragement for every year? It's just simply this. Excel still more. Excel still more. Be encouraged. Be encouraged that we, we have learned some things over the years about giving, and this church has embraced those things. But let's not just rest there and say, hey, we got this down. Let's excel still more. Let's give of ourselves more. Let's hold those things a little less tightly than we do. And let's see what God would do with that. I think there's great things to come for this church. Great things to come. And God will honor His name with us or without us. I'd rather be with. Wouldn't you? Well, let's pray together. Father, Your Word is so weighty. And yet, as our Father, You're such a loving God to tell us kind of things we need to hear at the very moment we need to hear it so that you are glorified as you ought to be glorified and we are grown as we ought to grow. Lord, this morning, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge it is to us. Thank you for what you are doing in my own heart to practice these principles and really just give of myself in all the ways that you have seen fit. Give of what you have given to hold it loosely. Lord, thank you for your people, for your church. Lord, you have blessed us with such great blessing, both by way of gifts and economics. Lord, help us to use it for your glory that you might be honored. Help us not to be those that hold tightly to any of it. And we'll rejoice in whatever it is you accomplish. And may we be like the Macedonian believers, begging for the privilege of participation. Because we just don't want to miss out. Because it brings you worship. So thank you for these people. Bless them as you bless your son in our lives as we grow in him. All to your glory we pray, in Christ's name, amen.